Well, welcome everyone to the 50th edition of Resilient Leadership Podcast, where Woo-hoo! everything we talk about, I know, woohoo, let's stop. <laughs> where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in anxious times. And my name is Irvin. And today, as always, I've been joined by my co-host and collaborator over these 50 episodes, Bridget. Bridget, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Urban, and thank you for calling out that it's our 50th. That's kind of neat. You yeah. know, it doesn't it doesn't yeah. feel like it. No. Nope. It seems like we just got started. Absolutely. But apparently not. There you so go. It's exciting to think that we have covered this much ground. And, you know, today's topic is not one that we have ever talked about before. Absolutely. Over the course of a year and a half, we certainly have revisited certain topics and taken deeper dives on them. But I do believe that this particular subject is really our first time exploring it. So Irvin, you know, what exactly is on tap for today? Yeah. So today's episode is called Loneliness, a Leadership Epidemic. Now, that might sound just a little dramatic. However, I got to tell you, as we both have been digging into this topic, the research is absolutely alarming, eye-opening, and there have been many, many different studies produced in the last year. This is a, a topic that's getting momentum in both the research world and in leadership and in business and society in general. And there's many different surveys out there, but you know, if you kind of bring them together, And they have different percentages. But I think we're safe to say that about 25% of the workplace is dealing with loneliness at work on a regular basis. Just imagine Mm. that a quarter of people at work are dealing with loneliness. And Mm. what the research is also pointing out, that this figure is higher for people in different minority groups. And senior managers and leaders also show higher figures. So today we're going to look at what might be behind these figures. What's the actual impact? Why is this important? Everyone experiences loneliness, you might say, but what is the impact of loneliness? And and finally, what can we do about it? Bridget, I'm curious, as you work with many different clients and different spheres of work, is this showing up as a topic? You know, it is. It's interesting that you mentioned senior leaders having a higher rate of loneliness. I do remember specifically during the pandemic when we hadn't really gone back to the workplace, either hybrid or otherwise, right? And I remember the loneliest people that I coached were the CEOs and the business owners, right? Who really wanted to be back in the office and actually never left. (laughs) And they would go to that office and there'd be nobody around. And you know, that's lonely to walk the halls Mm. and not be surrounded by your work community. Yeah. So I saw it there. And then as we've returned to the workplace, hybrid typically, you know, I still think there's some of it because we haven't worked all the kinks out of the hybrid arrangement. Yeah. So you're still getting people coming in, but not connecting, you know, yeah. not really reestablishing those bonds. Yeah. So that that's what I'm noticing. How about you? Yeah. You know, I, I think I've got a little theory in that, and I don't know if, if it comes up for you as well, in that 
People don't often label what they're going through loneliness, but when you explore it a little bit more, it actually is. Like people may say to you, know, oh, well, I think I've just made a bad career choice. Or, you know, there's just something about this company. I, this, the culture doesn't suit me. And, you know, when you probe a little uh, more, what really is, is there's, it's really not about the content of the work, but it's something that in these interactions that are happening, these human interactions with people, that it's just not satisfying. And really, that's what loneliness feels like. Loneliness is these, these interactions that we have in our lives, and they are either not happening or they are not fulfilling us. Yeah, and they become shallow, right? Yeah. And, and we hunger for connection beyond just a perfunctory or shallow level, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, Irvin, you know, we always try to ground our discussions in some neuroscience. And so I'm curious, you know, what insights might you share with us about the brain and, and, and the impact of loneliness on our brains and, and our nervous systems? Yeah. So I think, you know, we have talked at times about as human beings, you know, we are made wondrously. And part of that is survival. We are created to survive and we have mechanisms that have evolved over the centuries and years and millennia that have helped us protect. And so when you think about it, then loneliness shouldn't be a surprise because really it's, it's something, it's a warning, a beacon for us. So if we're created to survive, if we're created to be protected from physical threats, then part of the way that the human person has done that is by creating community. And yeah. so if we are in community, we are protected from other people. So really feelings of loneliness, some of the evolutionary psychologists have said, you know, feelings of loneliness is this biological signal to remind us that we need other people. Mm -hmm. And if we don't respond, actually what the research is showing us is that the brain itself begins to reshape itself to make us even more lonely. So wow. to emphasize the fact that we need other people, you know, so that famous quote, you know, no man is an island. We aren't, we're not created that way. We're created to be in connection with one another. And so just, you know, as we talk about loneliness, maybe let's just ground ourselves in a definition. The uh, American Psychological Association defines loneliness as the discomfort or the uneasiness of being or perceiving oneself to be alone. It's this emotional distress we feel when our innate need for intimacy or companionship is unmet. I love that. Mm. You know, it's, so it's this, this, this emotional need, this, this gut within us. So what the research points to, and I just want, you know, a couple of little observations, which are, are, are really fascinating. Mm -hmm. One, loneliness can be felt as a craving. It causes cravings within us, which are just mm -hmm. as strong as hunger and thirst. You know, think about that. You know, our, our innate need to, to live, to eat, and to drink. Well, loneliness can cause cravings that are just as strong. Wow. Yeah. And then loneliness can also make us more hostile or pessimistic. Now, this is easy to see as well. You know, if we're in this zone of feeling lonely, yeah. not surprising that we're going to focus more on the negative than the positive. And researchers have done fMRI scans. Those are the ones that light up the brain. And mm -hmm. what they've found is that people who receive different forms of stimuli are more attracted to negative triggers than positive triggers. 
Mm. So it's this vicious cycle almost playing. So we're feeling lonely, we feel down. And then in turn, that makes us feel more pessimistic or hostile. And so it's almost self-fulfilling. Yeah, because it's hard to forge connections from a hostile or negative place. Absolutely. That's what we, that's the very thing we want. Absolutely. And then the final thing is, is loneliness as well may make us less likely to trust each other. Now, I know in past episodes, we've talked about this hormone called oxytocin, which is called the bonding or the cuddle hormone that makes us um, want to cuddle each other. Whenever we rub a baby's back and we soothe the baby, it's releasing oxytocin. And what mm. we have found is that people who are going through spells of loneliness actually produce less levels of oxytocin. So yeah. in other words, their ability to connect is reduced as well. So, wow. you know, fascinating, you know, this, this impact in the brain and how the brain reacts. But, you know, I know there was a report, Bridget, that came out earlier this year that just created alarm bells as well from the Surgeon General about loneliness. So maybe you want to tell us a little more about that. Yeah, this is shocking because that report from the Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, said that the social isolation that we're talking about that its effect on mortality is equivalent to smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Wow. I mean, take that in for a minute, that that is just absolutely astounding. And that social isolation, you know, this lack of connection to families and friends and community, and then the loneliness that that causes, which is feeling disconnected, right? contributes to people having higher levels of several kinds of diseases Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, things like heart disease, stroke, anxiety, depression, dementia, and even makes people more susceptible to infectious diseases. Yeah. So this is obviously a very, very big deal. And then it's not just at the individual level because, you know, what affects the individual in terms of health ripples out into the broader community. And so communities with more social cohesion have less of those diseases, right? And less of that, you know, impact on mortality. You know, in our country in particular, Americans are experiencing more loneliness and isolation Mm -hmm. than really at any time in recent memory. Of course, Those trends were exacerbated by COVID, but they were already in place before COVID. I think it's not too hard to see why with the sort of dissolution of some of our institutions that created those connections, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I guess what I never really appreciated until you and I really started talking about this and and wanting to devote an episode to it is just what an extraordinary impact this trend of loneliness has for us as human beings, both personally and of course, professionally. So let's kind of talk about that because there's a workplace impact as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and and it's interesting, you know, the old story, which I think is borne out by this research when men, men normally, or women, wives normally outlive their husbands yeah. But but when husbands outlive, you know, the, their length of life tends to be determined actually by how many social connections they have. Yeah. You know, there's other research coming about men finding it very difficult to have social connections. So I think, you know, there's a lot of things happening. And absolutely this is visiting our workplaces. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so let's talk about like one of the most, I think, important ways is impacting the workplace is reduction in employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? I mean, let's just think about it for a second. If engagement is, I would define it as a wholehearted commitment to the organization's mission and goals and feeling like you play a role in that, right? You're all in. And yet, if you are feeling lonely and disconnected at work and the social bonds are just not there, of course, you're going to feel less committed and wholehearted to the organization. You know, we don't get wholehearted to, you know, offices. We get wholehearted to people, you know. Absolutely. And, and, And there's so much research around the connection between employee engagement and productivity and profitability. Mm -hmm. So there's an impact, obviously, on us personally health-wise, but in the workplace, you know, employee engagement is what's at stake. And then, of course, turnover, because the lower your employee engagement scores, the higher your turnover goes. So, Irvin, I'm just curious. We've talked about what loneliness is and, and like, why the brain reacts the way it does to it and these extraordinary effects it has. But why do you think people get lonely at work? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And I think, you know, there's a couple of things I would just point to. One is kind of situational. So I think, you know, we've just mentioned COVID. We've mentioned this rise of remote work. And even, you know, with people returning to work, there are companies now which are structured on the idea of remote work. I have a client who all their workers are remote. Mm -hmm. There is a core team at the central headquarters, but 95% of people are remote. And I think some people do that better than others. Yeah. I remember, you know, during COVID, I had two clients in New York. Both of them were living in about a thousand square feet of space because we had conversations ah. about this. <laughs> and one was dealing with it beautifully and the other was almost in despair. Yeah. And I think the one in despair was missing the connections and yeah. it really impacted them. So it was a lesson for me that everyone experiences these situations differently. And it's important for us to understand that. And some people have better skills. And let me just move that to the second point then. I think, you know, I am seeing people having trouble with people skills and connecting skills. Yes. And so, you know, people wanting connection and yet feeling, how do I do it? How do I go about it? You know, so even difficulty with how do I make small talk or should I share my personality or not, or what's right or wrong. And yeah. they're inside their head and, and, and maybe, you know, I just don't have common interests with people. And so what's the point in talking with them? Do you think that's because we've gotten rusty? I think so. I okay. think we're out of practice. Now, yeah. I think there were trends even before. You know, mm-hmm. I can remember some trends of, of kind of younger generation in the workforce prefer yes. texting rather than conversation. You know, people don't want to call. So I think we're, we're out of practice in having conversation, you know, and at the core of human connection is conversation. And yeah. so if these skills are rusty, then it's a problem. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, and I think in schools, they're seeing that a lot, you know, that that kids are really rusty behaviorally. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm right there with you. And then, you know, I, I think it's important that to name that some companies do community better than others. I think there are some companies whose culture is very clearly around connections and making community, et cetera. And there are others that, that are really much more hardline and it's about the work and about productivity and it's more inflexible and, you know, it overemphasizes productivity. You know, I think 
companies are going through a, a evolving on this. There are many, I don't know about you, but there are many companies before COVID said we could never have remote work. It's impossible. And then right. companies survived. You know, That's so right. and I think there's advantages and disadvantages of a remote work. But I think, you know, some organizations are very rigid in the rules and I and I think they don't honor the need for community that people have. As you were speaking, it reminded me of, you know, this notion of some companies do community better than others. My longest term client came to mind. He lists the guy who started this business, listens to our podcast. So shout out to you as you're listening. You know, I'm talking about you. He has talked for many, many, many years. His company is 20 years old for many years about community. That that's a very intentional commitment that they have. And that that's what he loves about what he's created is the community at work. Nothing's perfect. But to your point, some companies do it better than others. Yeah. Yeah. And then just one final thing I would say, you know, we always try and put topics in some form of relationship with a systems perspective, zooming out and saying what's happening in the systems here. I know one element of looking at systems is that within us, you know, we say that a leader has to be close enough to people to influence, but distance enough to lead. And we all have tendencies and our tendencies can be to get closer and ever closer or to withdraw and withdraw even more. And, and I think if you just sit back and think, you know, whenever you're suffering from anxiety or you have tension, do you tend to go into it or you tend to withdraw? Yeah. And I think, you know, there are extremes and the extreme is cut off that we actually cut ourselves off from emotional connection or we fuse become so tight. And I think if we're, if we're leading our managers and that our tendency is to cut off, I think we need to be careful with that because it can impact an organization, especially if we're leading that organization. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the dangers are, is that it almost creates a culture where loneliness can thrive almost. Mm-hmm. And so it can create a culture where there's closed doors, where there's withdrawal of communication, people left out of information loops, the mood tends to be a little heavier. So you can just see that all of those can create kind of their really fertile ground for loneliness not to be addressed. And so therefore, I just think as a leader, it's just important, you know, where, where do I stand in that spectrum? And it's, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with being one or the other. But I think it's important yeah. for us to realize that if we are in the withdrawal you know, with withdrawal, then it's important just to what kind of culture am I creating around me with that? Yes, I agree, Irvin, because if we are, if we react to rising anxiety by distancing, you know, emotionally or physically, that's going to create one kind of culture and it's going to impact community. Yeah. And if we're a fuser (laughs) and go the other way to the extreme, that's not necessarily healthier, right? It's the balance that you were talking about. So being aware of your own default tendency there, it's so interesting. It has a a definite implication for culture and community, the level of Mm. community and therefore the level of connection that people feel in your organization. Yeah. yeah. I remember one time I went into the office for the first time of this client and I only talked to him by phone. And so I go into the office and it was the most quiet office I'd ever been in. I was like, are, are there any human beings here? <laughs> and I walked down and like, nobody mm-hmm. looks up. Everybody's just in their cubicles, you know, no chattering, nothing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is interesting. Then my client introduced me to the CEO 
And he was as distant as you could possibly be with a person actually being physically in your presence. Wow. Yeah. And, and it was a young company and they had absorbed to your point, his more distant yeah. way of being. So that's mm. a really interesting point. All right. So Urban, bottom lining it for our listeners then, how do we combat loneliness in the workplace? Let's look at it in two different aspects. Let's look at it as an organization, what can we do organizationally, and maybe then what can we do personally? So I think organizationally, you know, an interesting place to look at is actually begin at the very beginning and onboarding. What are you doing in the onboarding process to create connection and to make sure that new employees don't feel intimidated, feel they can talk as Mm. problems come up? What are we doing to help new employee make connections either with mentors or with some peers so that they're able to not so much feel uncomfortable in the newness? We all, we all have experiences of being new and, and it is not something, well, the vast majority of us feel uncomfortable in that. So I think, you know, organizationally, it's really good to, to ask, you know, in the onboarding process, how do we make connection? Yeah. And then I think it's also good for organizations to examine the present culture. Cultures are tricky because I think there are norms and values which are on the wall. And then there are norms and values which are not unspoken, but you can see in the relationships and the way people function. And I think it's really important to ask, is ours a culture in which connection can thrive? It's a good question. Yeah. Do we have a culture that affirms caring and compassion, tenderness, even when, when someone's feeling down? How do we treat each other on a personal level? Do we have a culture where it's okay to speak up whenever we have a problem? Or is it a culture really that you can see anger, or frustration, or irritation, or annoyance around? And I think that is something that, although unexpressed, can be seen. So I think it's great work for an organization just to actually stop and think about those questions. And then the other thing is the sense of connection. But I think the word, maybe we haven't used it today, but the sense of belonging and inclusion. And I think one of the ways we feel we have a sense of belonging and inclusion is in decision making. And so I think it's important for organizations to know how do we make decisions? Yeah. Not that every decision has to have a voice from everyone, but are there decisions in which we are really including people mm-hmm. and people feel that they have a voice? And I think yeah. those are three different areas that can really help organizationally an organization respond to loneliness. Yeah. Richard, what about individuals? Is there any way that individuals can take it upon themselves to combat some of the loneliness they might feel? Sure, of course. I mean, I think sometimes we just need to switch it up at work. You know, maybe we're feeling disconnected and a little lonely, not because of any cultural elements, but rather just that we, we've gotten into a rut or a routine mm-hmm. with our job yeah, and yeah. we've been doing the same thing with the same people and, you know, it gets a little stale. So yeah, yeah. maybe we request to join a new team. Mm-hmm. For example, right to make some mm-hmm. new connections and breathe some new life into you know our work situation, right? I think that there's an element of personal responsibility here, right? Mm-hmm. So if we feel distant, disconnected, and lonely, 
there's some things that we can do ourselves. And that's one of them. How can we switch it off, right? I think another thing is if you're a manager, a lot of people who listen to us are leaders managing teams. And I think make it easy for people on your teams to connect. There's so many ways, so many creative ways that enhance connection. I mean, it can be as simple as lots of people do this, but do you have really interesting icebreaker questions at the beginning of every team meeting that open up the conversation, you know, or do you just get right down to work? Because <laughs> yeah. that doesn't foster the same level of connection, right? Or what about sort of, I know this is going to seem counterintuitive, but making some of your meetings a Zoom-free meetings, turn the cameras off and allow people to get a little bit of a break from that because there can be a lot of fatigue associated mm-hmm. with that, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. do you ever feel fatigued with that, Urban? Yeah, because I think you're, you feel you're always on. And I think I think if every meeting is I'm always have to be on, then I think there is definitely fatigue. And remember, we've talked about this in another episode of just the brain tiring of looking at yourself and, and seeing yourself. Yeah. There's one company I'm working with at the moment. And actually, they they actually have have this, I wouldn't say it's a formal policy, but it's an unspoken policy that that there are meetings when there's an expectation everyone shows up on camera and they tend to be meetings which either important meetings, meetings where there's brainstorming, et cetera, where it's, it's helpful to see each other. But if it's mere informational meetings, et cetera, you know, the, the, it's okay. Not if you have, just have to listen in or whatever. So I, I think that's important. I agree. And I think the other thing is that we can all talk about this trend, this phenomena of loneliness and normalize it. Just like, you know, mental health in general is something we're still having to work Mm. really hard at to have any conversation about. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because the more you normalize something, the more we can do something about it. It doesn't live in the shadows, right? Yep. Absolutely. That's something I think that can make a big difference. Okay, so those are some of my thoughts. And now I'm thinking, you know, Irvin, we've covered so much ground, but we always like to end with some kind of a core practice for folks. So I'm curious what you have in mind for that. I think a good core practice for this would be to experiment with more interesting questions. Uh, We talked a little bit earlier about people are out of practice and small talk and and creating kind of conversation can be difficult. And I think it's because we don't ask good questions or, you know, when you think about it, so many of our conversations are very perfunctory, you know, how are you? I'm fine. Oh, the weather's good. Yes, it is. You know, and it's (laughs) these typical questions. So maybe spice it up and throw in a few questions that make people go, Oh, Here's just a few throwing out, but, I, but, you know, I think if you Google interesting conversation openers, you will get lists and lists and lists. Yeah. But here's, you know, what made you smile today? Mm. Do you listen to any podcasts? Hopefully it's this one. And what are your favorites? And that just opens a come Why? What is it about that podcast? What are the subjects, you know, that you can just see where that conversation could go? What was the last good book you read? Mm-hmm. What was the last concert you went to? You know, music so mm-hmm. often is a bonding one. What's your biggest pet peeve? Love that one. Yeah. And what mentor has made the greatest impact in your life? So these are questions that they don't necessarily, you know, sometimes I think people worry that, that I'm invading privacy, but I think these are questions that are interesting. They're non-threatening mm-hmm. questions. They're questions that people enjoy answering. And I think what happens is we begin to have conversations where all of a sudden, you know, we share this or we share that. That's amazing. And then it just takes a life of its own. 
So my yeah. challenge and practices is to come up with, you know, a list of 10 questions that are out of the ordinary that you could begin a conversation and see where they go. Love it. So simple, practical, and yet, you know, asking these kinds of questions, like you said, see where they go. Sometimes they lead us to these really interesting places and we make connections with people that we formerly held at arm's length, right? Yeah. That's the cool thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, Irvin, thank you so much for bringing this topic to the podcast. When you mentioned it as something for us to explore, you know, I was very curious and I feel like I've learned a lot. I think it's so important. We, you know, when we are experiencing social isolation and loneliness, remember the impact on our health is, you know, similar to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is, this is a big deal. Yeah. It's in our best interest as, as human beings, as colleagues, as leaders to address it. And the good news is that we can. There are some things that we can definitely do. Thanks again to our listeners for joining us for our 50th episode. Yay! We encourage you to join us for our next topic and keep spreading the word. We're getting so much positive feedback, and we thank you for that. Irvin, thank you, as always, for being such a great collaborator. Thanks, Bridget. Really enjoyed this. And everyone have a wonderful week ahead. You know, and one of the beautiful things about Irish pubs is that there are no strangers. They they actually, the the circle wipes. So considering this topic today, is there someone that you could invite into your circle in the coming week that might make them feel a little less lonely? Oh, and better yet, invite them to an Irish pub. There we go. Even better. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now.